Hello and welcome to the third episode of Aerospace Social. This episode is on the Mars 2020 rover. This was recorded from a presentation from OIPRL. Karen Seligman actually interviewed me a couple of weeks back and this has been rendered into a podcast. Glad you can enjoy it. Hi everyone, welcome to YPRL. Um, my name is Karen, I'm pleased for you to join us. To, um, I'm here to introduce Kailash Kalados, um, who is a NASA Solar System Ambassador, and we're really excited to have this special opportunity to connect with him. He's speaking to us directly from the Bay Area in California. So welcome Kailash. Thank you so much. Thank you so much, Karen, for this opportunity. And uh, I'm uh, very excited that uh, I can take this uh, NASA uh, Solar System Ambassador uh, uh, role to other countries, uh, especially Australia. And uh, YPRL, uh, thanks to YPRL, actually, to give that uh, opportunity to me as well. It's hard to describe how exciting this is um, when you first contacted us, especially because NASA, NASA is very glamorous and so far away. It's almost like it's almost like you have to pinch yourself when you, you get an email from NASA. It's like, is this for real? So we're very, very excited to be able to um, for you to join us. And um, in our community, we have a lot of young people who love space. So we're hoping that they'll be excited too. Likewise, Karen. So to give a brief introduction about me, uh, my name is uh, Kailash Kalidas. I'm a NASA Solar System Ambassador. Uh, I uh, became a solar system ambassador uh, in the start of this year, uh, in 2020. Um, I, uh, my role is to take uh, aerospace education and uh, um, NASA missions, uh, information about them to the community, uh, both in the US as uh, well as the rest of the world. So that's briefly my role. Uh, I'm, not an, uh, I'm not an employee of NASA or anything, I'm just volunteering. Uh, they, uh, I, I, I'm called a Solar System Ambassador, and this is a program that runs in the US. Okay, and um, I think we've we've um, connected with you at a good time because um, today you're presenting about the Mars mission, which um, I didn't know much about before, but I realized it's actually um, planned to launch really soon. That is really correct. So this week uh, at NASA's going to be really exciting because first we have this uh, manned mission from uh, the US to the International Space Station uh, using the SpaceX uh, uh, system that's going to get launched on uh, May the 27th and following that the next big event is uh, the launch of the uh, Mars rover in July. So uh, I thought that would be a pretty relevant topic for us to discuss today. Yeah and in fact um, since I announced this event um, I've received um, some communication from um, some school children in our, in our community who said they're actually learning about space and about the sun at school. So um, they're, hoping, um, they're hoping to be able to tune in and, and um, get some extra and rich information directly from NASA. <laughs> so, yeah. so yeah, I, I get to talk to, uh, uh, talk to a lot of people in NASA either virtually or uh, I've even met uh, a couple of astronauts in, uh, in an event and uh, been to an event at a NASA base. So. Uh, I do interact with uh, uh, 
with these people on a limited scale. As I said, I'm not an employee, so I, I have an interaction system that's there as a part of the SSA program. And I also represent Civil Air Patrol, so I care. I'll, I'll let you know the details about that later in this meeting, but uh, that's also another platform for me to meet these guys. Mm-hmm. Sounds great. So um, are you ready um, to start your presentation? Sure, absolutely. Uh, so let's go ahead and uh, start. Uh, I'll just pull up the slides for you. Should be up. Go ahead and present it. Uh, if you're able to see my screen. Yes. Should I, should I share my screen or? Yes, I think that would be best. Yeah. Yep. Then your screen will, um, the, the whole image then will be off your PowerPoint um, right. because you can share the PowerPoint um, window itself. So I'm just going to share my screen and share the PowerPoint window. So, yep, I can see. Um, I can see your PowerPoint. Right, I'm just going to present it at the moment. Uh, yep. Beautiful. And I would say, put it in full screen. Uh, I present it. Okay. I think this is the view we are looking for. Yep. Got okay. it. So let's go ahead. And uh, this was actually given by uh, the, uh, I'm taking most of the materials from the Jet Propulsion Laboratory. And uh, there's a gentleman called Kenneth Wilford who had presented the uh, rover mission to us, uh, uh, basically. So I have uh, given him credit because I'm using some of his material in my presentation. So let's begin. This is the first slide. So this is the uh, image of Mars. As we know, uh, Mars is uh, also called the red planet. This is the typical view of Mars you get from Earth uh, on a good day, on a good clear day, when you don't have any telescopes or anything. Uh, if you're lucky, you can spot it of this size. If you do have a telescope, uh, that image actually is getting a little bit bigger, but it's also blurry at the same point. We don't, uh, a normal, uh, um, normal telescope that's available off the off the shelf is like able to get you to this level of magnification, but still doesn't convey anything great. But the exploration of Mars just began like way, way, way ago in 1886. So there was this uh, uh, gentleman called Giovanni uh, Scarpelli who actually spot uh, came up with a map uh, of Martian uh, landscape. And he said that uh, there may be a possibility of streams of water on Mars. So this is the uh, this is the landscape that he proposed. So uh, why I'm telling you all this information is because like I wanted to give an intro on uh, uh, the history uh, on which the Mars exploration has been done so far. So it's going back to 1886. So this gentleman from Italy came up with this image. And he also said uh, there may be uh, water uh, on Mars, and uh, and that's the quote here. So it may spread to a width of 100 to 200 kilometers, or maybe more. But this is just his prediction. This is not uh, uh, this is not reality. So in 1909, there was also a newspaper article uh, by uh, Lillian. It says there would be life on planet Mars, but uh, those were again predictions because we couldn't actually see anything pretty close. 
and then in 1965 we had the first uh, um, first kind of uh, mission uh, where from the uh, from the orbiter called Mariner in 1965, which gave the first glimpses of Mars to us. But those images were pretty raw, and we couldn't make much of it either, so we couldn't answer any of the questions. Uh, back in 1975, the Venera 9 went the other way. Uh, this is a Russian spacecraft uh, orbiter, which actually went to Venus and check whether Venus is even close to uh, habitation or not. But uh, they discovered that uh, their, uh, the surface of Venus is highly acidic and their spacecraft lasted a few minutes and it gave these images. The first formal uh, Mars uh, exploration began with the Viking mission in 1975. So using the Viking mission, uh, the Viking orbiter gave some significant images, uh, like I'm going to show you now. And it also had a lander, which showed the surface of the, uh, of the Martian landscape as well. But here came the disappointment. So all the earlier predictions were uh, pretty much wrong. So uh, there were no visible signs of water on Mars. Uh, also, uh, there was no uh, no kind of life form on Mars. Um, but our conquest to learn more about Mars kept us going. Uh, in 1997, we had the Pathfinder rover uh, um, delivered by NASA to actually answer our questions regarding the origins of Mars and uh, the suitability of life going forward. In 2004, uh, we uh, sent a uh, sent another rover called uh, Spirit and Opportunities. There are two different rovers sent to Mars on two different locations. The, basically, the idea is to see the origins of Mars. So we now know that uh, there is no life as such on Mars, and we cannot live uh, as is on Mars. So we have to create a life support system. For that, we have to learn uh, how best we can use the Martian environment uh, to actually, uh, uh, actually develop systems that can sustain life in the future. And in 2012, this is the uh, latest uh, rover that's there. It's called Curiosity rover, and uh, this is uh, this is the rover that's collecting most of the information right now. So, to give a history of Mars missions, there are two kinds of uh, uh, systems here. One is an orbiter that you can see, like which circles the planet uh, around the planet and tries to get data from the uh, uh, from the uh, top, and then you have the rover itself uh, where you have an actual landing on the surface of the planet and and the samples are collected at that point of time and to, to get data. So uh, the, the agenda has been to follow the water. Uh, that's the uh, that's the most common way for us. So uh, if we come to know regarding the origins of uh, water on planet Mars, there was a uh, there was a state in Mars where there were uh, there was water, so there is evidence of that. But water is not in liquid form anymore. Um, so once we trace the origins, we can try to explore uh, the habitability and uh, seek signs of life. So that that's the whole uh, idea. So if you see, we are moving from the left side of the screen to the right side of the screen, uh, and the ultimate goal will be to prepare uh, future uh, human explorers through these missions. So um, right now we are in the M2020 rover, which is right there in the 2020 column. So we are seeking signs of life. This is the main purpose of mission of uh, Mars 2020 rover. 
So, uh, although we are launching this system in 2020, it's uh, anticipated to land in Mars in 2021, and we have named the rover uh, as Perseverance. This happened very recently. Uh, we had a naming uh, ceremony, and then uh, I think an educational institution uh, was privileged enough to actually name it, and a student was uh, his entry one, so uh, hence the name Perseverance. So, uh, to give a brief overview, um, this is going to be uh, a launch system that's going to take place uh, using the Atlas 541 launch vehicle. So July 2020 is the readiness date. We don't have any uh, any kind of postponement inside just because of our COVID situation right now. Uh, I think most of the systems are uh, ready to go and we have a targeted July launch date. So once the uh, spacecraft launches and then we are looking at around uh, a seven month cruise, as I said, uh, from July to February. So uh, it's going to uh, take the shortest path that's available uh, to Mars at that point. We're choosing July because uh, Mars is uh, an elliptical orbit and uh, the distance between Earth and Mars is closest uh, between this time frame. So that's the reason we are launching in July. And then uh, uh, this cruise is now approximately seven months as opposed to longer than launch it on a different day. So once we uh, get to the um, the atmosphere of Mars, then we are looking at uh, the entry, descent, and landing criterion. Uh, you can see that's, uh, uh, that's a retro rocket system uh, with the sky crane mechanism, which is delivering the uh, Perseverance rover uh, down to the surface of Mars. And uh, as you can see, this the system has been tested over and over because Curiosity also had a typical uh, uh, system. So we are not reinventing the wheel here. We, we are pretty successful with Curiosity. So they're using the same uh, kind of Skycrane launching system uh, for the for, for the Mars 2020 rover as well. Uh, it's been thoroughly tested so that uh, uh, the entire rover lands uh, without any damage. So once we are in Mars uh, with the rover, so uh, the adaptability of the rover comes into play then for the Martian surfaces. So uh, it has a 20 kilometer uh, radius. Uh, it's qualified to operate for around 1.5 uh, uh, years, Mar Martian years. It's slightly different to an Earth year. Um, the main mission would be to uh, seek the signs of life. What we're doing here, uh, in addition to what we've done before, is we are trying to get samples from Mars and ship it to Earth again. So that is a significant, significant improvement over other missions. So uh, what we're going to do is we are going to utilize our best laboratories on Earth to do the work rather than uh, the rover by itself. It's a laboratory granted, but its functionality is pretty limited due to size constraints. So that's are really a game changer and we'll get a lot more answers than uh, the previous rover missions this time. So that's uh, something uh, that is unique to the 2020 mission. What are we looking at? Uh, our mission objectives are, uh, uh, are listed there. They're fourfold. So we are looking at geology, first of all. Uh, we are exploring the ancient environment on Mars. Uh, we are understanding the uh, process of formation of rocks and uh, other uh, soil elements there, um, their formation and alteration. 
And the second uh, goal is astrobiology, where we uh, where we seek evidence for the past life. Uh, this is possibly carried out by carbon dating or uh, say uh, biosignatures that are preserved in the soil. How do you do, the, do that? Uh, third uh, objective ties to the first two. So we are going to sample it uh, by actually drilling uh, rocks or collecting soil samples using uh, uh, X-ray imaging uh, that is built into the rover or uh, laser drilling systems that are there in the rover to collect samples and process and run certain tests within the rover itself. Um, so what happens here is uh, once uh, these samples are collected and tested to one level here in the rover, uh, these samples are archived so that it can be sent back to Earth in, in a different mission that's going to be carried forward in the future. So by doing all this, what we are doing, uh, what, what we are answering is how uh, fit the Martian environment is for the human, um, for the human life in the future. So um, we we now know that we have a lot of carbon dioxide in, in the Martian atmosphere, but we don't have enough oxygen. So one of the things that the rover is doing is one of the modules that is plugged in the ro rover is uh, looking to do is like it's trying to convert the carbon dioxide into oxygen. Uh, there's a module for it, which I will talk in the next slide. So typically these are the uh, components in the rover. So most of them are looking at, uh, looking at camera sensors um, and other things like uh, X-ray imaging systems. And there is also something called uh, the MOXIE, which I was talking about here. MOXIE is uh, uh, the oxygen manufacturing unit within the, uh, within the Mars 2020 rover. So that there's some amount of uh, oxygen that is required for combustion and uh, other uh, chemical reactions that are taking place within the uh, in the Martian surface, like to perform certain tests, you need, do need some oxygen. So that MOXIE uh, uh, module there actually gives you uh, a laboratory method of preparing oxygen uh, using the components that are available in Mars. So that's something uh, we have to look at uh, certain systems like that initially because we don't have oxygen readily available in the Mars uh, Martian surface as of now. And uh, there are a host of other sensors. There are infrared imaging sensors, yeah, temperature sensors, um, X-ray imaging sensors. Uh, you have uh, several kind of radios to communicate things back to the Earth. Um, then you have uh, other uh, cameras all over. Um, and you have the uh, motion system as well. So it can traverse through any kind of surface. Um, it can climb rocks, it can climb uh, elevations easily. Um, and uh, there, uh, and there were tests that were carried on Earth to make sure that it doesn't get stuck anywhere in the process. In addition to, th this is basically carried on from the Curiosity profile. Curiosity was uh, uh, was the previous rover. It's still working in Mars right now. In addition to uh, the rover, uh, there is a helicopter as well this time, uh, in the uh, built into the rover. So this helicopter can actually take some aerial views. It has additional sensors, avionics and body. Uh, so it has a solar panel that, uh, that uh, provides energy to recharge its own batteries. And it can, uh, it can get some more information from, uh, from a height rather than uh, everything from the ground. So this is another uh, uh, thing uh, that is uh, unique to Mars 2020 mission. It's called Ingenuity. And it's... Uh, uh, it's integrated as a part of the rover itself. 
So um, this profile here is called the Jezero Crater, and uh, we are really interested in this site. Um, the reason is because like you have a, a lot of evidence that there was some kind of river or water streams that were uh, flowing at a given time. It's of course uh, there's no water right now, but there is enough data there uh, to tell that there was water at some point of time. So uh, this would be a good place to actually land and uh, look for biosignatures. Uh, so this is going to be the landing site. Uh, and uh, for this very reason, this has been chosen as a landing site. So um, what are the science goals? Science goals, as we already discussed, is uh, uh, to determine whether uh, life arose on Mars, uh, how is the uh, climate of Mars right now and how it has changed from before, uh, and what is the characteristics of the geology on Mars to answer these questions. Also, uh, the fourth one is the most meaningful of the three, and it doesn't mean that we can achieve four by not achieving one, two, three. So it's a, it's like a collaborated effort. Only if you can answer the first three can you actually answer be uh, answer the fourth one meaningfully. So I was talking about the sample return. Uh, this is not a part of uh, the sample return is not a part of the 2020 mission itself, but what it can be done is like future missions can uh, be allowed to land on Mars. So it can rendezvous with the, uh, with the orbiter there and then uh, return um, the sample like through, an, through a rocket system separately uh, in the future to Earth. So that gives us a lot more, uh, a lot more flexibility in determining the, uh, the geology of Mars. And, uh, life itself on Mars in the future. So this is basically my presentation in a nutshell. Uh, I'd not dwell too much on uh, uh, things because like there may be specific questions in the uh, in the Q&A session. Uh, but if you want to know anything more uh, than what I've discussed here in detail, uh, you, you have the NASA website, mars.nasa.gov slash mars2020. So this is my presentation in a nutshell. Also, um, I have one final slide uh, talking about the other missions of NASA. So um, these NASA missions are centered around uh, so many other things. Like for, if you consider the sun, for example, there are these uh, missions like the Solar Orbiter uh, and uh, AS and SET-1 that are, and Parker Solar Probe that is dealing with uh, measuring several entities in the sun. And then uh, you have uh, the Earth satellites as well, several Earth satellites. You also have the International Space Station uh, where uh, where astronauts and scientists actually determine the uh, characteristics of Earth from way above. And we have uh, deep space. We have uh, something to do with the galaxies. And uh, that's a part of the mission that I was invited to. It's called uh, the SOFIA mission, uh, where you can actually uh, determine the life cycle of stars, the ages of stars, and so on, using uh, a 747 flight that flies high above the atmosphere. And then you have an infrared camera. Uh, in, in the fuselage. So that, these are some of the exciting NASA missions and we are not limited to uh, space. We are also looking at aeronautics and uh, aircrafts and aviation in general, how to streamline aviation, how to make aviation in the future more sustainable. So this is in a nutshell of what NASA is doing. Thank you so much. There's a lot of information there and um, the graphics are amazing as well. It's a really interesting presentation.
Um, is there, are there any plans to send um, astronauts onto Mars in a, um, in a future mission? When sort of, how many years do you think um, before NASA will sure. consider? Uh, so when they drafted the initial plan in 2012, uh, so they planned a manned mission to Mars by around the 2025. But I don't think we are going to hit that 2025 target uh, uh, the way we are going right now. We have to first achieve the Artemis mission the Artemis mission is the first uh, manned uh, mission to moon after all these ages. They're going to go and set up a base in, uh, in the moon, in the Earth's moon. Um, so that's going to be uh, the next major challenge for NASA. Um, they're preparing that as a part of even uh, this SpaceX launch where they're trying to send the astronauts uh, outside uh, the Earth's atmosphere and, uh, and let them act acclimatize in the uh, International Space Station first. And the next major step is going to be to set up a base in Mars, I mean, a base in the moon, so that we can use that as an intermittent base to launch to, Mar to Mars. Uh, is it, it'll be closer, is yeah, it? Yeah, yeah. So we have, uh, in fact, Atremis uh, program is running full scale now. Uh, uh, NASA is recruiting uh, new astronauts, and uh, this mission is going to be the next manned uh, mission to, uh, major manned mission. That's going to happen in NASA. And we are going to, the idea is to use Moon as a base. Okay. Oh, yeah. we'll look forward to it. That sounds yeah. interesting in itself. I think um, building a base and using that, um, using that um, to, yeah. to do other projects will be yeah. amazing too. Um, is there any way Australians can watch the launch um, of this Mars mission? Um, is, it, would, it be, um, would it be shown online? Absolutely. I think uh, NASA has its own dedicated uh, channel. Uh, if you go to uh, YouTube and search for NASA Live, you have a NASA Live channel that's presenting all the all their missions. Like on, on a given day, if there are no missions, they play all kind of informative programs. But then if there is a mission, for example, you can view the entire uh, SpaceX launch mission next week, uh, next week on May the 27th. Uh, using that uh, uh, NASA TV live. So it's a, it's a brilliant resource. And I uh, get to view it uh, whenever I want more inputs for my presentation. That's great. I've, I've written it down. So I'll, um, I'll make sure I share that with our community later on. I think a lot of people will be interested. Sure. Uh, yeah. The easiest way is to actually uh, search it on uh, YouTube and you have uh, this channel that's going, that's live all the time. Great. Okay. Um, well, um, before, before today, I um, invited our community to, um, to um, ask any questions um, that they might have, for, um, they might be interested to ask you. Uh -huh. um, and so I've collected a few questions um, that I hope um, you'd be happy to answer. Sure. Um, for, um, great, okay, so. So I might, I might start with one, one from me because um, I would like to know a little bit more about the um, selection process for solar system ambassadors. What motivated you to apply and um, was the selection process really hard? Were you like nervous or did it make, did they make you do a lot to, to show that you have what it takes? Um, so this actually happened, uh, I, I would say I'm extremely lucky that it happened uh, in my case. Uh, so my, uh, my passion for uh, aerospace as a kid is, uh, is a big motivation for me. So my passion for aviation and aerospace as a kid, 
I was largely uh, influenced by my dad, uh, whose job was involved around uh, working with big jets for a leading Indian airline. He worked for Air India for a period of 30 years in ground handling. So I've seen uh, these big jets close by uh, whenever I used to accompany him uh, to his work. So what happened is I, uh, I'm an engineer. Uh, my day job is uh, uh, being a medical device design control engineer. Uh, so uh, I decided to put, uh, I, I moved to the US in 2016 and I decided to actually uh, take my passion to another level when I joined this organization called uh, Civil Air Patrol. This is a uh, uh, US Air Force Auxiliary and it's also a volunteer organization and it's part of the uh, US Air Force as a total force. Uh, what we do is one of our pillars is aerospace education. So I'm an aerospace education uh, officer for my squadron. And I have, uh, my colleagues are really, really helpful and knowledgeable. So uh, some of them are uh, NASA solar system ambassadors already. So I came to know through, uh, through them like uh, about the NASA SSA program. And then uh, last year in October, uh, I went ahead and applied. The application process by itself, like uh, it was, uh, I wouldn't say it was very complicated, but they were asking a lot of questions. They asked me to submit an essay on why I wanted to actually uh, become a solar system ambassador and what was unique in me. And uh, also uh, my presentation abilities and uh, my, uh, my other works that I've done in the past. So Civil Air Patrol was a big uh, uh, boost for me there because I was already handling aerospace education for my squadron back then. So, and uh, probably that is one of the reasons why I was uh, selected. But at hindsight, I'm privileged because uh, uh, there are only uh, such uh, thousand such uh, people uh, around uh, nationwide in the US. So uh, to know that I'm uh, among them is like really, really uh, nice to know and I'm grateful to. And I think so, it's um, wonderful that you can take your passion, something that you've had since you were a child, and grow it into something that gives you such amazing opportunities. Absolutely. I mean, uh, uh, life is not just about a day job and making money and living on a paycheck. So uh, it's something beyond that. You have to, uh, I believe that you have to share whatever you know with the community uh, and then uh, and then motivate other people forward. So, I mean, although I, I, I didn't get to become an astronaut, if someone becomes an astronaut through my uh, my words, I mean, listening to that and getting inspired by that, I, I mean, I, I, I'd be the most happiest person. And um, you mentioned that you have met um, a few astronauts as part of your induction to the, to the ambassador role. Um, have you also been on the NASA sites? Uh, I have been on the AIM site. Uh, as I told you, I was there for the SOFIA mission. Let me show you a photograph. Mm. So I think I have to share the screen here. Um, I think that will work best. Yeah. So I'm going to share an image right now. Um, there you go. So this was uh, at NASA Ames. Uh, again, this was through Civil Air Patrol. Uh, Civil Air Patrol gave me lots of opportunities to interact with the NASA guys as well. Just it's not the SSA program, but. Uh, I'm happy that uh, I can show you this because like I get to meet people like uh, uh, like the person here who who's in charge of the SOFIA mission and uh, 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 the other people in the squadron are uh, are, uh, are present as well and uh, we we try to present this in our squadron take the learnings from here and present it. And I think it'll be it'll be so much fun just to meet with other people who are passionate about the same 
topics as you and, and you can have you know, really deep conversations. The questions like uh, were really uh, focused and uh, and he was pretty uh, pretty open to answer them as well. So that was pretty nice. That's great. This was the uh, Sophia mission I was talking about. Uh, this aircraft uh, behind uh, me there uh, hosts a telescope. It has an infrared telescope. Oh wow! Mm -hmm. It takes of the uh, night sky, and these uh, and we can determine the uh, several celestial phenomena like okay. years of uh, uh, stars and so on. Mm -hmm. So you you use it while while the aircraft is airborne to get just a bit closer. That's correct. So the uh, the mission itself, so, uh, talking about the Sophia mission, it, uh, the aircraft travels around uh, uh, from California to uh, New Zealand, Christchurch uh, in New Zealand. That's where uh, the path is, so that they can in the night sky they can get most of the images of the stars. And so. mm -hmm, mm -hmm. That's great. That's okay. Mm -hmm. Okay. Now here, um, thank you for answering my question in such detail. Um, sure. Here's another one from Olivia. She's asked, when can we go and live on Mars? Um, I've answered this question partially in my presentation. It all depends on what kind of questions we are able to answer on uh, the samples that we get from Mars 2020 mission. As I, as I said, we are going to get a lot of samples back to Earth. We're going to analyze what best we can do to live on Mars. Uh, one thing is certain, we are, we are moving closer and closer to living on Mars. So uh, the... The data we have collected so far is leading us in the direction. It's the question of when rather than uh, uh, if we go or not, it will surely do. But uh, depending on the data that we collect in these rover missions, uh, we have to determine the kind of life support systems that are required for us to survive on Mars. So it's like even if you are going to Mars and live on Mars, it's like to develop a colony in Mars, it's going to take a while. Um, you will see a lot of manned missions to Mars and then uh, uh, developing a colony there, uh, like uh, an ecosystem within the planet, uh, planet surface itself, where we can grow plants and have water and oxygen. Um, basically create an, uh, an artificial atmosphere for us to survive initially before we, we can spread life form in the future. So definitely uh, it's, it is on, it's just a question of when, um, and uh, how we are going to approach it based on the data we gather from the samples that are going to come. Mm. Um, I know that the film The Martian has been on Australian television recently. <laughs> and I mean, I understand that the science depicted in it is not always perfect, but it makes it so um, real and almost, you know, possible. It really stretches your imagination about, about you know, whether, whether it's possible um, to to go there and so on. It's amazing. Absolutely. I think that movie is a bit ahead of our times and I think uh, it's wonderfully taken as well. Uh, I wouldn't say like what you see on screen is exactly how it will be, but it will be pretty close to that. Yeah, I, I have heard that um, it's been praised for a relatively um, sort of accurate portrayal of the science and the physics. Right. Right. Um, so they also say, uh, uh, it's pretty accurate. They also say uh, a term called SOL, which is uh, uh, the time on uh, Mars. Uh, it's slightly different to uh, the time on Earth. Like uh, it's not exactly 24 hours. It's slightly um, slightly greater than 24 hours of film correct. Um, so they call it, call one SOL, one, uh, one uh, Martian day. Great. 
Okay, I've got, um, here is a question from Michael. So Michael says he doesn't have a, a STEM, a science and technology background, but he would still like to contribute to um, NASA missions. Um, can you offer any advice um, for someone who might be more interested in the legislative or legislative affairs side of, um, of aerospace um, exploration and of NASA? So something I wanted to tell Michael is, uh, this is a very good question. And uh, NASA is such a huge organization and we require all kinds of people here, uh, be it uh, in areas of science, uh, artists, graphic artists, business managers, IT people, technical writers, uh, programmers, all kinds of people. Um, the same thing goes with the uh, legislations as well. What I would say is legislation, uh, uh, the role is pretty important because we have uh, we have several R&D projects in NASA and we have several uh, legislations and budgets that are surrounding each project, uh, whether uh, whether a particular task should go on as per planned or should be tweaked. So these legislations are normally passed by uh, Congress in the US. So his role there would be like a perfect fit, I guess. And I guess also um, the more space exploration we achieve, um, it creates new areas of law that we need to tackle as well. For example, a, bit like, a yeah. bit like exploring Antarctica, where it, it sort of doesn't really belong to anyone, but you right. need to create some rules about what what's um, what's pos what's allowed and what's not allowed. Right, right. One of the one of the parameters. I am glad you brought this up because one of the parameters that we are concerned about right now is uh, uh, space debris or space junk. Uh, these satellites that are no longer functional are left in the orbit and then um, these uh, remain circulating the earth for no reason and they have no purpose. So how do you get them out? So that's one of the uh, legislations that are going on right now. There's a separate body for it. Right? It's funny that you mentioned space junk because um, yeah. yesterday I um, led a, a children's coding event um, called Moonhack um, ah. where um, people who participated um, created a game in Scratch, which is a, a coding language um, device by MIT for teaching children to code. Um, and the topic is space junk. So it was a little game where um, you, um, the player pilots a rocket and it mm -hmm. gathers various types of space junk and try to send it to Earth. So definitely right. I think it's, it's getting to be quite a big issue because we've had many decades of space exploration and sending things like satellites up into um, into space. So um, I think I've heard it, it's all definitely accumulating and becoming a bit right. of a danger in some ways. Right, it, it is of danger because these space junk uh, may hit other uh, other active, uh, uh, active satellites or uh, maybe even the International Space Station when an astronaut is working on something. So these can actually penetrate and create big uh, damage. Mm. So it's, it's imperative that we remove this space junk uh, as soon as possible or put it in an orbit where no one goes. Mm. All right, thanks for that. Now, um, here's a question from Roman, who says um, he's learning about the sun at school. He's trying to, um, he, he's uh, preparing a project about it. And right. he's asked, can you tell him any exciting information about the sun? Um, and perhaps where you can find more information. Right, I will, I will give a few points. Of course, he uh, he uh, he might already know this, but uh, uh, yeah, if he doesn't, then it's a new piece of information for him. So I would say uh, sun is uh, 
basically the largest object in our solar system. It takes up 99.86% uh, of the solar system by mass. So that's about 1 million Earths. If you can fit, you can fit 1 million Earths into the uh, sun's surface. That's one interesting fact. The other interesting fact is given the size of the sun, it's not the largest star around, it's just an average star. So uh, even for an average star, you know that uh, the size of the star is enormous. So that's, that's an the interesting second. fact because yeah. um, I think when we when we visualize the solar system, you assume there's a lot of space around. So you sort of don't think of the sun as you know being a really big, big, big part of um, the solar system. That's right. Um, our solar system is kind of so big in terms of size, so that's the reason we uh, don't associate. But if you see, uh, if you compare the sizes and the masses, uh, uh, any star will uh, comfortably outweigh a planet. It doesn't matter even if the planet is Jupiter or something bigger than that or an exoplanet. Mm. Okay, I hope, I hope Roman finds that interesting just as I did. Here's a question from Emma. So, what do I need to do to become an astronaut? And can Australians be astronauts? Uh, I would say uh, with the uh, with the uh, with the tie-up between NASA and the Australian Space Agency that happened in 2018, I think uh, there is a good chance for uh, Australian citizens to uh, actually work with NASA and participate in NASA missions either as an astronaut or or any other entity. I mean, in either role. Um, so uh, NASA has a tie-up with the Australian Space Agency and uh, the Commonwealth Scientific Industrial Research Organization, which is uh, CSIRO. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, before uh, this tie-up was there, like there were plenty of Australians who were there in the uh, NASA workforce, but they had to be they had to change their citizenship to uh, to the US to actually get into NASA. So it's that's no longer the case. So that's the good news. If you go through the Australian Space Agency, then that will be a shorter route. One of the things uh, your PM Scott Morrison did in eighteen uh, um, in two thousand eighteen was contribute a lot of a uh, uh, lot of revenue towards the Mars mission. So uh, NASA is really working hand in hand with the Australians. So that's uh, that's good news for the uh, for Australians to become. Uh, to play significant roles in NASA in the future, not just astronauts. But, yeah. I think that's really encouraging news that to know yeah. that we've got more opportunities now than we did. Right. That's great. Okay. And that one final question from Jackson. Do you have a? This is for. This is a question for you. Do you right. have a favorite fact about space, and do you have a favorite fact about NASA? Okay. My favorite fact about space is uh, we cannot really measure space. Space is so huge. Uh, even if you take our own galaxy, the Milky Way, we're talking about uh, 100 to 4 billion stars. So uh, when we're talking about 100 to 4 billion stars, we are even talking about parallel solar systems, parallel universes that can exist and support life. So uh, it is impossible for us right now to actually determine this with, uh, with the level of detail we have right now. Uh, but in the future, I think uh, as we gather more and more data, we will see that uh, we will see uh, other life forms as well in the future. I hope uh, in other solar systems or other uh, parts of the galaxy. Mm -hmm. so that's an interesting fact about space. And the next one was uh, the, my favorite fact about NASA. Uh, my favorite fact about NASA is uh, 
NASA is so many things. It it is just not like confined to space, as I told you in my presentation. So uh, we talk about earth sciences. We talk about helping the farmers uh, uh, to irrigate their crops with the right amount of water, depending on the satellite images we get from the uh, from the satellite systems and International Space Station observations. Uh, we one of the projects that uh, I like so much was the. Um, population of mosquitoes uh, in certain areas of the world uh, at, at a given season and how we can manage the mosquito population so that we can control malaria uh, in, uh, in different parts of the world. And uh, the other uh, um, areas of NASA was uh, I highlighted was the aeronautics. The uh, aeronautics basically deals with uh, uh, improving the efficiency and sustainability of uh, aviation and general aviation aircrafts and uh, um, and supersonic aircrafts in the future. So how best we can control uh, noise and pollution and uh, how green can we get? Electric flight, for example, is something that NASA is working on right now. That is a really interesting fact. I think when, when most of us think about NASA, we just think of space. So it's interesting yeah. to know that there's um, more other areas of research right. so, that they do at a, at a more ground level. Yeah, we call it the A in NASA. So NASA, the second A stands for uh, aeronautics. So that's something uh, NASA is pretty good at. And uh, a lot of people are not aware of this. That's great. Well, thank you so much for the opportunity um, to connect with NASA and connect with you again. Um, it's been Thanks, a Karen. real pleasure and so exciting. Thank and, you. Thank um, you. We, well, I hope that one day you'll make it to Melbourne, um, as um, my community might not know, but um, Kalash is a big cricket fan and I think he'd love to come to the MCG one day for the Boxing Day test. So, you know, we would love to welcome you if you ever make it out to Melbourne. Absolutely, absolutely. Thank you so much. I'm looking forward to that date and if that opportunity presents itself, definitely. I mean, I'll, I'll try to make this happen someday. Thank you so much. Thank you so much.